If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Jeff Miller, Brian Hanley with you this Sunday morning, rainy Sunday morning here in the city of Chicago, talking about the Bulls season concluding on Friday nights. Did you get into the Wednesday nights playing at all, or were you kind of just... Oh, yeah, I I watched, and, you know, when they were down 19, I was like, okay. What the hell are we doing here? Yeah, right, Uh, because I told you last Sunday I was traveling there. My flight (laughs) got canceled. Yeah, and I I had the hotel booked for both Atlanta and Miami. So you missed the Zach Levine game. Yeah, and again, I know DeMar DeRozan's daughter was MVP for screaming, and and whether or not that threw the free-throw game off of the Raptors, the fact is they were 50% from the line, and the Bulls found a way to win that game. God bless her. Um, but Zach had a game Wednesday night, and he was MIA Friday. And, you know, that's always going to be an issue, especially when you're playing a team with Jimmy Butler. I remember him uh, running around in the Bulls uniform. Back to Steve Ashburner's point, you know, Tibbs was a little difficult, maybe a lot difficult to, to people in the building because Tibbs had his own way of doing things. But he was effective. No one can argue that. He was productive. And Jimmy Butler, uh, he irritated a lot of guys in that locker room. And, uh, you know, they didn't like that because he demanded more. And when he was around, they were much more relevant team or there was much more accountability. And when you hear AK bring up Patrick Williams, I, I mean, I, I, how, I cringed. How, I, I couldn't believe he's I, really I, in what Mr. World, nine points and four rebounds. In what world are you bringing him up as something as a relevant piece moving forward again? He needs more time. AK and his and staff needs more time to figure out how to make this thing work. You know, staff, uh, Steve Ashburner said, you know, whatever your draft, um, uh, uh, you know, assets are, well, when you act, execute on P-Will and we're still waiting to see what he is, and I think we started, we're starting to realize what he is, and it's not worth what you, where you selected him. And my apologies. He uh, bumped it up to 10 points this year, oh, so Mr. 10 sure. points. Don't begrudge rebounds. him that point. Yeah. In, uh, yeah, in, uh, in 28 minutes per game. Uh, we were also asking, uh, Brian had an interesting question. It's out there on Twitter. How interested are you in the NBA playoffs? Because without the Bulls, I mean, you you know, your theory is that for whatever reason in this city, once the Bulls go away, a lot of people kind of put the NBA on the back burner. Yeah, I, and I don't think it's just uh, NBA. I have no, uh, you know, I don't take surveys. I don't have polls to back it up. It's just talking to friends and everything else. Once our teams, you know, name a sport, are out of the playoffs. Last year when the White Sox didn't, you know, make it, I think... Is you could be a very big Bulls fan or, or big baseball fan, Sox fan, Cubs. Once your team's not in the postseason, are you very interested in the playoffs? Somewhat interested or not at all? And I, th- I think Chicago is a very provincial town for being a world class city and as large a market as we are. I really get the sense that once our teams aren't uh, good enough to be in the conversation, we change the conversation and move on to something else. So far, your theory is proving out to be correct. The On Twitter right now, at ESPN 1000, uh, not at all, is getting 49% of the vote. 36% is getting the second most, and very is getting 15%. So clearly most folks in Chicago are not into the NBA playoffs once the Bulls have been eliminated. I will say... 
I got locked into Warriors Kings last night. That game was incredible. Yeah. The atmosphere in Sacktown, as they like to say, was uh, amped up. They they lit the beam after their win last night, and uh, De'Aaron Fox was awesome. He had a great debut for his uh, his playoff debut. And the Kings, you know what? Um, the Warriors were the Warriors had some opportunities to win that one with a couple of open looks down the stretch that they weren't able to complete and the Kings get that that much needed first playoff win it's for a young team so and I got sucked into uh, Knicks and Cleveland because it was back and forth and and Cleveland looked like they were dead and then they had a 9-0 or 9-1 run and Tibbs and the Knicks said okay your fun's over and locked it down I, that's what I I watched two of the uh three games seriously and there'll be more today but I, I think uh, I think we're in the minority and and don't even get started on the NHL playoffs now that the Blackhawks are fully in rebuild mode I will say uh and I've got some thoughts on the Hawks that we need to share before we get out of here but um the one thing about the NBA first round usually is that oftentimes there's not there's very little drama. Right. You usually have a pretty good idea of what team's going to come out of each matchup in the first round, that is. However, because of that Kings-Warriors showdown, and you mentioned the Cavs-Knicks, a little bit of uncertainty, not quite sure for some of those teams kind of getting your first look of what they are in these new iterations. The Knicks with uh, Jalen Brunson, the the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, it's their first chance to kind of show you what they're capable of in the playoffs. And then again, we know what the Warriors, their history is and against this Kings team. So those are two matchups in the first round. You don't always get that. No, you get that in the NHL. Yes, and, 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 you know, but not so much in the NBA. One of our Twitter poll questions is, you know, how interested in the NHL uh, playoffs are you? Uh, very somewhat or not at all because the Hawks, certainly are not in the playoffs, haven't been you know, since the bubble up in Edmonton, and that was a, a COVID-created playoff uh, position for them to get they in Montreal, I believe, in there um, because the league wanted ratings. But it's, uh, again, I love, the, have covered the NHL for seven, eight years, the NBA for six years. Where I love all of it. And the NHL, if you're a hockey fan, I grew up a hockey fan here in the 70s with the Blackhawks, early 70s. Uh, the first round is you, you know, I'll sit down and watch every single one because you're going to see multiple overtime games in, yes. in plenty of series. And it's really hard, it, you know. It's, it's cliche, but there's really nothing better than playoff overtime hockey. Yep, absolutely. You know, that when it's you know next goal wins, it's always it just adds that much more drama to whatever you know whatever series you're watching. Let's try Pauly again in Palm Beach. Pauly, can you hear us? I think it's the phone. You know what? Let's Jake. Why don't you try and punch him in here? We're having an issue with our phone lines. I think. Hey, Polly. Hey guys, you got yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. How are you yeah. doing, Polly? Doing good. Great show. Thank you, Polly. I, I called up with uh, three quick points, but I got to make a fourth one now. You just brought this up. About <laughs> You're dying to dance, dance floors, Chet would say. <laughs> Chicagoans are merit based when it comes to sports, right? We were privileged enough to see a guy like Michael Jordan. That that was talent. Walter Payton, Bobby Hall, guys like that. Those are talented guys that worked hard. Sports is not a merit-based endeavor anymore, right? It's a, it's about TV viewership. I mean, they only have to draw 22,000 people out of 7 million to see a Hawks or a Bulls game. If you can't do that, you really have a bad taste. <laughs> Well, one thing um, about this town is fans always de- demanded an effort. Whether he had the talent or not, they want you to show up and bring it every day, and we respected that. And and when you had guys like Walter Payton who had the talent to go along with the effort, and MJ, when they were the ones leading, you know, Walter, uh, you know, literally leading them up the hill, 
like his training became such a, a, a light legacy. People wrote stories about how hard he trained. We always wanted to see your team could be not very good or even worse. But if we knew you were trying, I covered the baby bulls, the tryhard bulls, Kirk sure. Heinrich and Lowell and Ben Gordon. Oh, so not Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler? Uh, I got they the baby bulls? I, I got Tyson. I didn't get Eddie. Oh, I, yeah, Eddie is heart issues. I got the tail end of that okay. one when they were going to pay him to go away because they didn't want him. Uh, but they were the original away. baby bulls, right? I, I, but I mean, yeah, that, no, I that team, that was a tryhard team. Yes. Yeah, it was a collection. You know, Ben Gordon always bristled with the fact he was a sixth man in the NBA, mm-hmm. but he was never going to be one of the big three. Correct. Although I would take that big three over this big three uh, any day of the week because... They could wipe out a 20-point deficit, but they, they could also be a team that would give you a 20-point deficit. But they, they didn't just you know write it off at the end of the game. They always tried to claw back, but you know that was a different era. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go was. ahead, Polly. Sorry to go Yeah, uh, Polly, uh, you, you had an, go ahead. That, that's okay. Perfect segue then into Zach Levine. And I'm going to try to be as nice as I can about the guy. I won't say he's a loser. I will say he is not a winner. How about that? I even heard him interviewed three, four, or five years ago. He's never won at any level. He never won in eighth grade. He never won in AAU. He never won in high school. He never won in college. He's never won in the pros. He's an above-average player that, based on the way the rules are now, where basketball is like ultimate Frisbee, I mean, it's unwatchable. The five steps, the, the carrying the ball, the setting moving picks. Some of these guys the Bears should hire as a guard to set some of these moving picks. <laughs> Um, it's unwatchable. So, and Zach Levine's a loser. You're never going to win with the guy. He's never won at any level. I, like you said, he's not even the best guy on the team, and he's making max. I mean, and which leads to my second point. Now, the the Bulls are in, in are in transition. Sox too. You don't know if Reinsdorf's going to die tomorrow or if he's going to die in ten years, right? So. You're always hesitant when those transitions happen. You're giving these companies to your kids that they're going to make some stupid move and blow everything up. Um, my family is an original investor in the Sacks. A little under a million is worth $30 million now. Okay? So everybody loves Jerry, and Jerry cares a lot more about his investors than he cares about anybody else. So they're on eggshells over there because – I don't think Michael Reinsdorf is half half the businessman his father was. So that's going on with that part. The third thing is, once again, it's about TV viewership. It's about marketing. The NBA has got 10-year-old kids making merchandise in Malaysia, right? That tells you where their brains are at, okay? They don't care about the fans. Like I said, it's about getting people to watch TV, selling merchandise. They don't care if you come to the games. It's funny. You say, oh, everybody goes there. They're having a good time. How could you consider that entertainment? You don't, you don't have a better way to spend a thousand bucks on your kid. A thousand, one dime. You don't have a better way to spend that on your kid where he could learn more than taking them to a Bulls game. I'm with you. Uh, Not my money. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Hey, Paulie, it's live sports. You know, I, I, it's a racket, but it's it's a good one if you're involved in it, right? I didn't go to one. Oh. I didn't. And thanks for the call, Paul. I didn't go to one Cubs game last year because I just, frankly, you know, I'm not spending that kind of money mm-hmm. and going in and spending 14 bucks a beer and everything else if I know the products are not worth it. And and even more, investing three or four hours of your time. And by the time you travel to the park and everything else, yep. you know, Steve Ashburner, to Paulie's point, said he didn't call Zach a loser. He said. He's Andrew Wiggins. He's he's the third or fourth pillar yes. on a team that is seriously a championship contending team. 
And that's not Zach's fault. I mean, he got paid like he's the guy, and here he's considered the guy. But I, I've said it for – I didn't know about not winning at the AAU level in high school, and I'll, t- I'll take Paulie at his research <laughs> in the interview. But I know at Minnesota he didn't win, well, and he hasn't won here. And I'll, this, I'll give uh, kudos to Sylvie. He had uh, Jacob Nitzberg uh, from ESPN Stats and Info dig into Zach's numbers. It's probably a month ago or so before. So, you know, there's been, you know, whatever. They had that 14-9 and nine little stretch that sure. was ripped yeah. off that AK mentioned. But amongst, like, qualified players, I don't remember, you know, over the last 20 years or whatever it was, um, it basically, Zach Levine was, like, the fourth or fifth losingest player in the NBA in, in regards to his winning percentage and all the teams that he played for. And basically... The people who were below him, coincidentally enough, were Timberwolves players, though, who were there, though, when the Timberwolves were an expansion team. Yep. We're talking about, like, Pooh Richardson, right? Like, right. the guys who were there. Because that Timberwolves team as an expansion team for, like, 10 years was atrocious until Kevin Garnett finally got there. But the reality is, Zach Levine, yes, like, for whatever, you know, if you want to put it all on him, I mean, he's one, he's always been one of the better players on the teams he's playing on. So I do think you got to put some of it on his shoulder when they're not winning games and you're the best player or the second See, best player on the, the team. The great players put a team on its shoulders, on yes. his shoulders, and for longer stretches than that, maybe even a season. Demar Derozan did that last year. Yeah, right. I mean, he he was the guy who was wearing the Superman cape and getting forty points for eight or nine consecutive games last year. The Bulls. This is Joe Colley wrote this, uh, 25 and 16, clutch in clutch situations, third best in the league. End of game situations, I think it's uh, with you know, deficits of six points or less or, mm-hmm. or, or a six point uh, differential. Third best in the league. They knew how to finish games. This year, 15 and 23, second fewest. Uh, it wins when it came down mm-hmm. to crunch time. And we know compounding that is the way they didn't start games very well this season. They forgot to show up or bring it. it, it. So there, uh, AK's got, I mean, you talk about Ryan Pohl's got his work cut out for him. It's easier to get a basketball team turned around just because the, you know, 12, 13 men on the roster. Mm-hmm. But I, I, but it's well, also, you can get yourself stuck, right? Well, like he's, and, he's stuck. He, and I don't know where the outs are. Ash mentioned it, Steve Ashburner earlier in the show. Like, like I don't know, and I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like AK has any solutions either. He's just kind of trying to kick the can down the road. He keeps selling the idea that if we surround our big three with the right players, all of a sudden, like, I, I, no, I think it's not so much the players around them, right? It's, it's them. It's it, the three. Yeah, the big three is not good enough. How and Vooch, you know, Steve said that Dallas, whether you make a sign and trade, and and the superstar says, well, okay, I'll I'll, I'll sign that deal, but you know, what do you got left over there? I'm going to be the guy with a bunch of G leaguers because you you've traded all your assets away. No thanks, but no thanks. So he still has control, even being traded. But you know, when you start looking at Vooch said yesterday said, well. I like it here, but I want my agents to see what's out there. And by the way, I want to hear what the plan is here. Even Vooch is like, hey, hey, AK, how's this going to change? <laughs> you know, can you give me the blueprint for the uh, next couple of years if I uh, re-up? Uh, I mean, even he wants to know the answers. Uh, insanity. 312-332-3776. Banks, Mike, we see you. We'll get to you here. I'm Meller. He's Hanley. We're here till 11 o'clock on ESPN 1000. Meller and Hanley back here on ESPN 1000 here till 11 o'clock today talking a little bit of Bulls right now as the season wrapped up on Friday. Uh, Tarish Karnaschovas met the media yesterday as the at the end of the season press conference and didn't really provide any satisfying answers for my taste. And I don't think based on your reaction, Bryce, either. During the break, we're just talking about Bull stories we've heard over the years and I've covered them. I'm, I'm getting a migraine even thinking about all the 
idiocy that's gone on uh, over the last couple of decades. 25 years since you last won a championship. Good luck, everybody. Yeah, and um, not really close. You know, once it, there, there was the fleeting moment with Derrick Rose in 2011. But outside of that, it was, you know, the Tyrus injury. Thomas for LaMarcus Aldridge. Oof, oof, I, I just, it, it goes on and on. I mean, it just goes, Tyrus could jump out of the gym, but he didn't, I mean, he never really understood what it was going to take to to be that guy. And LaMarcus Aldridge is retiring now after having himself a pretty good career, I'd say. But he was a bull for 10 minutes. Uh, yes, I'm trying to, uh, Tyrus Thomas ended up, uh, he averaged his, his uh, season high for the Bulls was 10.8 points per game in uh, the 2008-2009 season. Hey. That was the highlights for him. Uh, very uh, It's kind of p like I was just, you read my mind, yep. <laughs> very Patrick Williams-esque. Uh, uh, I, I remember I was telling you we were down at Disney World for a rookie uh, pre-draft camp, and they have a media availability, and it's, you know, you're not even drafted yet, so, you know, Tyrus is sitting at one table, softball questions, hey, you know, how'd you grow up, what's it? And he's like, one-word answers, he's surly, he don't want anything to do with it. And LaMarcus Aldridge is sitting about 10 feet away from him at a different table, talking about how he plays classical piano. He's mature beyond his years. By the mm-hmm. way, he looks the part, but he's not that athletic. Yeah. He can't jump out of the gym. And then, of course, the Bulls make that trade. They get Tyrus Thomas. And I remember Scott Skiles, like, during practice, look at this guy. If he'd run one bleep in time, yeah, mm-hmm. run hard during practice. Look at this guy. He's just pointing him out. It's just like he he was he he tried everything. And he's like I don't, I don't know what to do with the guy, you know. But here here this is who we got. I mean, just imagine like how different the four, you know they the Bulls would be regarded as an organization had they not been fortunate enough to have the Michael Jordan dynasty. I mean, I know and listen, it's not, but you know they get an awful lot of credit for. And yet, granted, they made they made the pick, but. That was a pretty obvious pick, right? That he, you know, they're fortunate that the Blazers took Sam Bowie Ooh. instead of taking Michael Jordan second overall. When everybody pretty much would, Bobby Knight was telling anybody who would listen, "Hey, Michael Jordan's the best player I've ever seen. You yeah. should probably take him." Yeah. And you can excuse Houston for having taken at the time Akeem Olajuwon, who became Hakeem Olajuwon. You know that made sense, a, a sure. dominant center. But without the fortune of the Michael Jordan, you know, dynasty, boy. Where would this organ? It would be an absolute laughing stock. I mean, you know, the six titles. I'm sorry, like I'm giving all the the, the majority of the credit goes to Michael Jordan. Absolutely, and then Scottie Pippen was helpful, no doubt about it, more mm-hmm. than helpful. But the reality is that without that falling in your laps, this organization, as you mentioned, for 25 years now has been a pretty much a joke. Yeah, rudderless. And and when you hear AK talk about putting profile players around your big three. You know, Jerry Cross gets credit for finding the Bill Cartwrights of the world and, and, and putting, you know, mm-hmm. Steve Kerr or Paxson, putting guys around to compliment. Yes. But if, if MJ's not there demanding the bring it every, you know, attitude in every practice yeah. and being, by the way, the best player in the world to the point where they're making a movie. Have you seen Air? I haven't seen it, no. I haven't uh, seen it. And, you know, he's not in the movie. I get it. But it's a movie about Michael course. Jordan changing the entire future Sneak, yeah. of, of of Nike. Yes. Um, I mean, so the, his impact can't be overstated. Uh, and his agent, David Falk, that guy was so protective of, day, you know, the stuff that came out eventually about some of Michael's uh, off-the-court stuff mm-hmm. and back in the day before cell phones and yes. social media. It was kept pretty well quiet, you mm-hmm. know, whatever his, his foibles were off the court. But... His agent, if, if, at the Sun-Times, we were going to run a, a story was not going to be flattering to Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. He told our sports editor at the time, uh, you run that story, you'll never have access to Michael Jordan again. 
And I believe the story was killed. I was going to say it was the uh, one of the early editions of Catch and Kill. Yeah, huh? yeah, it was basically the higher higher ups had some serious discussion, and it wasn't like, well, we don't believe in the story, and we don't believe it's relevant, or it was like this guy is the guy, and yes. how does that serve us or anything if we're now persona non grata? And believe me, David would have fulfilled on that threat he wasn't yeah. just uh, those weren't empty words interesting times uh let's try banks who's in homewood wants to talk some current day bulls hey banks you're on espn 1000 good morning uh you gentlemen making real good points i, I think if jerry Krause was uh the manager today uh this bulls team would be altogether different uh can i suggest that the coach is fired uh, that's one number two uh the bulls need six eight uh, Beverly and uh, Caruso, not six three, six eight. I, I think most mm-hmm. people don't understand the game hasn't changed. That you still need to rebound and play some defense. And Caruso, from Siakam to Kevin Durant to Giannis, Caruso has been sticking six uh, ten power forwards <laughs> all season. Yeah. And, and the third point I have to make is that you're going to have a lot of Windy City Bulls playing today. People do, do people know that uh, Struss? Was oh boy, Max Struss, DePaul's yes. very own. Yeah. Uh, Bobby you... Portis, Windy City Bulls. Uh, he's going to be playing today. Yes. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yep. The Bulls organization really—they don't understand if they're going to keep this core of DeRozan and Levine. Hopefully not Vukovic, but if they do, they better surround them with athletes that play defense like Jerry Krause did. It's no great points, Banks. Um, you you make you know an interesting you know. Uh... Caruso, we love, you know, he's just, you know, he, you, he's a guy you love to root for. But there's a reality in this league where the athletic wings are, they're plentiful, right? Like, and you need some of those. And to, to Banks's point, if you're going to have guys like Zach Levine, who, you know, was interesting was it was it was nice to see him on Wednesday night get back on defense on every single yeah. play, you know, mm-hmm. like that's something that hasn't always been there and apparent in every game that he's played. You know, DeMar DeRozan, you know, for as good an offensive player as he is, can be a defensive liability at times. So it would be, yes, I think a, a, a smart move, as Banks points out, to bring in some guys who do a better job of complementing your, quote, big three. But you know, Patrick Williams was supposed to be one of those, and he's oh. just not living up to the reality hey, of what they hoped he would Banks be. Banks' point, I mean, not only is, you know, uh, Caruso trying to guard 6'8", six, 6'9", six, give me 6 or 8 Alex Caruso's and, and, and P-Bev's. I win, I win more than 40 games, big three, core three or not. Mm-hmm. You, be, yeah. they, you know, there's no doubting their intensity in their heart. There is, you know, the, obviously P-Bev uh, can't, Pat Bev can't score. And Alex Crusoe is a defensive guy, but I mean, that what was defense take effort and and bringing it all the time and and being a, an attack dog. When it's thinking it through, when you're talking it out, the profile players are not really the problem. No, it is all on the big three and their limitations, right? Like, I, you know, for everything, you know, for all the double doubles that Vooch gave you. You know, he's got plenty of limitations. There's too many moments where you need him to come up big that he doesn't. And again, Zach, from night in and night out, you don't, you don't quite know what you're going to get. And defensively, you know, if, if, you're not, if your shot's not falling, you can always make an impact on defense. And that's Absolutely. where, you know, you'd hope a max player, when you're paying him max money, would buy in. And that's not always the case. So, yeah, I think it is. Your big three is the problem. Let's try Mike. 
who's on the South Shore. Maybe I'm stealing his point. I don't know. He wants to tell us what the biggest problem for the Bulls is. Uh, Jake, can we punch in Mike there on the South Shore? What's going on, Mike? Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, Mike. Tell us. Uh, yeah, just real quick. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for bringing up Tyrus Thomas and Marlon Marks all mm-hmm. thing. You really got me ticked off. Having good coffee this morning. You had to bring that up. You had to bring that up. Uh, thank God it's only God, two hours. I got to know. Yeah, I could blame be talking Hanley, all day. Mike. Yeah, blame Hanley. Oh, Hanley! I hated that trade. I, I, I Marcus Aldridge was was right there in your lap. You know what? You know what? I'm not Mike Stephen A. Smith. I'm not gonna get started. Let me get. Let me get. I'm not gonna do it. I. My biggest problem. We can't get the big fish. We can talk about the profile players. Yeah. yeah. We can talk about the big three. You got Damian Dame Dollar pretty much saying he's about to be at his wits' ends in Portland. A guy that's pulling a Kevin Garnett that gave that he gave that organization everything, guys. That dude, yeah. he's a killer. That's that's what you need on the a killer. You guys have seen the game long enough. You know the greats when they got that look in their eye. That look of killer instinct, like, I don't give a damn what is going on. I'm going to make sure DeAndre Fox did it last night. Like you said, that Sacramento game, mm. go to State game, was sensational. Anthony Wiggins, for not playing for, what, a month, two months, producing, he did pretty damn good. But DeAndre Fox had that look in his eye. I said, I don't care if you Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, my team's going to win this game tonight and give me the ball, and I'm going to carry you. They, the Bulls, have to have that guy, that dude, that killer instinct dude that says, no matter what, I'm going to get it. I think the three, they, I think I agree with you. I love Zach Levine, but I see Zach Levine more so as a second or third option. DeMar DeRozan had a career year last year. If you thought he was going to do it again, come on. Father Time's undefeated. <laughs> so you don't have that many years left in DeMar DeRozan. I like Vujicic. But he gets on my nerves. There are games where he's got a mouse in the house and he wants to shoot freaking jump shots. No, get your big butt in the post and play bully ball. And that's the that and they're not just that, but defense. So I I I they're the limited. It sucks as a Bulls fan when you hear Damian Lillard complaining. Uh the the kid the guy in Dallas, uh Luca. Yeah. He's complaining. It's like, God, can they be creative enough like they did last year? That, to even get it. I think AK just don't want to say it. He wants to say, guys, I'm limited here. It's not Denver. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm but li- Mike, Mike, part of it is like he's the one who put the limitations Amen. on himself. Amen. The Vooch trade, while, you know, I was always, I didn't love it at the time. I thought it was, you know, too many assets for a guy who was very similar to Zach Levine. He put up a lot of numbers for a team that was not winning basketball in Orlando. And you can make the all-star team, but the reality is win basketball games. He chose that route. See, but I, I liked it. Because I want to change for change's sake. Yeah, I want I no, want and, something to shake things up and make me interested mm-hmm. again. But I hear you. I mean, you had I, you had long long range vision. I was short. You know, I was just like living in the moment and and give me empty calories. I could have I could have got behind the idea of the Vooch trade if it was just Wendell Carter and maybe a first round pick. But he gave up multiple first yep. round picks. I always thought Wendell Carter was was still a a player who you know more than serviceable, and he has been for Orlando. Now he's not. As good as Vooch, but at the same time, he's not commanding as much of your payroll as Vooch is, and he's somebody who can, you know, and I I have this uh, argument with Karma all the time. I'm not saying that Wendell Carter is some huge lost piece that the Bulls will regret for, but... 
the choice to go with Vooch and, you know, tie up so much money in him and now be desperate because you gave up the assets and where we're hearing AK at the end of the, se- end of the season presser say, oh, yeah, we want Vooch back. He wants Vooch back because he's got nowhere to go. The alternative is, yeah, it's even worse than where well, they're at right I, now. I, you know, when he says we're, you know, he hears about blowing it up and, and we're not doing that because I think. He would just – you look at this roster, damned if you do, damned yes. if you, you – if you said we're blowing it up and then you saw what you're going to get in return, mm-hmm. it, the league will tell you with a resounding voice yes. that you don't have – there's not a lot of there there. I mean, that that's just – you know, if you want to make that validate it, go ahead and say we're blowing it up and see what you get in return. Mike mentioned Damon, Damian Lillard. Uh, the problem for him is that his, uh, his, his contract – uh, he's going to be making $58 million in 2025, 20, 26, and $63 million in 2026, 27 at the ages of 35 and 36. No. And right now, Lillard is, he's going to be 33 next season. So the problem with, I love Damian Lillard. Sure. Why wouldn't you? If you're not ready made to win and he's the final piece, you cannot make that trade because you're just kicking the can down the road to another headache. So he, I love Lillard, but he's not the answer for this Bulls team. 312-332-3776. We got to get to the Cubs. Bry's got some thoughts on David Ross, and uh, we will also celebrate the great career that finally came to an end for the Chicago Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves. We'll do that before we wrap things up here at 11 on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Have to wonder if Michael Fulmer's tenuous grip of the Cubs' closer job is slipping away because uh, he has blown another save last night in walk-off fashion to the Dodgers. If uh, you went to bed early in L.A., the Cubs could not hold their one nothing lead, and Michael Fulmer coughed it up. And you have not been happy with your Cubs manager, David Ross, of late. Yeah, you know, a manager has to put his uh, guys in the best position to be successful. Now you can argue and, and ask the question, which was asked, should David Ross have kept, uh, kept uh, Keegan Tom, uh, Thompson and he had pitched two scoreless innings? Could he start the ninth? He's got 28 pitches so far for a high this season. So, uh, you know, David Ross said quickly, no, that wasn't a consideration. The consideration, though, for you, if you weren't up late, the uh, the Cubs nursing a one nothing lead on Patrick Wisdom's home run. Mm-hmm. And you can stipulate that Ian Happ and Seiya had an opportunity to extend that lead and struck out to end the inning when you had uh, runners in scoring position with one out, and, and those two guys could have come through, and they didn't. But anyway, bottom of the ninth, you've got two out, second and third, uh, nursing a one-run lead, and Fulmer is facing David Peralta. And in my world, I think in many people's world, you immediately just – Walk him right. I mean, mm-hmm. just intentionally walk. Just uh, go take your base. You know, let's let's set up the force at any base, including the plate, and um, let's get out of here. Getting out and get out. Especially when you look at who was on deck, and you know, David Ross was. First of all, David Ross said the the message was uh, uh, Tommy Hotman. He went out and talked to um, Fulmer before he faced Peralta, and supposedly David Ross said the message was to pitch around him, not mm-hmm. not intentionally walk, not give him a pass. They could have just done that by holding the fingers up and saying go. Yeah. But unfortunately, Fulmer said, no, I was challenging him. So somewhere there was a disconnect yes, even that's... with the, the pitching coach going out there and speaking face-to-face with the managers claiming that 
you know, no, that's, we're pitching around. Don't give him anything. That's hugely problematic. Hugely problematic. Is that David Ross telling you something in the post game that was not actually conveyed? How could because how could how, 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 that, how could that be that misconstrued? And first of all, you shouldn't pitch around him. Just give him the damn base, yeah. right? Because you know who's on base or on the on deck? Austin Barnes. So you, you've got you've got a guy who's zero for three with two strikeouts. He's hitless in 17 plate appearances on the season, and he has one walk so far. And they're without their starting uh, catcher, Will Smith, and yeah. David Russell. Well, you don't know if he, you know, they have pinch hitters over there, and maybe Will Smith shows up. And, and Dave Roberts said no. He, he was missing the second game after an off day because he's ill. Yes. And he said before the game is not available. Okay? That's information you should know if nope. everyone else knows it. You, you don't think uh, David Ross was... Uh... He was on guard for the uh, the Kirk Gibson moments. He was he was wait he was he wasn't buying David Roberts's explanation. You don't think you're not going to give him that uh, much credit? No, I'm with you. Yeah. These. So I mean, ends, ends up Peralta hits a, a seeing eye single into a right field. Nico Horner's diving in it. You know, they said, well, if the shift was allowed, uh, la- you know, like last year, that wouldn't have been a hit. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's not, and it was. Yes. So it's uh, it, look. It, you know, when you're when you're asking a guy to bunt when there's a three and one count, that's one thing. The pitcher doesn't know what you want. You want to pitch around him when you really should just be issuing the intentional walk and then taking your chances on a guy who's over for the season when they have no other catcher available. So they're probably going to take their chances with with uh, you know that Austin Barnes showing up and doing something, um, but it didn't turn out. And that's look, are the Cubs going anywhere? They're in third place. They have a winning record. The Cardinals. Are in last place, right? If uh, am I missing some there? They're scuffling big time. Why? Why not go ahead and feel you know get a second win at Dodger Stadium and feel good about it when it's right there for you? No, I, of course. Uh, you know, I'm still skeptical uh, of the Cubs being anything more than a, than really a 500 sure. club this season. But that's to be expected in a lot of ways because the truth is that they haven't really made any huge moves to change your mind you're still waiting for the next group of young players that are going to be the core of your team to arrive um they're still you know for the most part you know down in the on the farm on the farm so you don't have those foundational pieces just yet Dansby Swanson's a nice addition right um Ian Happ locking him up this week that was a good move I will say like you know getting him to agree to a three-year extension at 61 million dollars Honestly, I never thought I'd see the day where he'd make twenty million per. Because, but he, to his credit, he's improved himself greatly as a defender, uh, as an outfielder, right? Well, yeah, I was gonna say I think it's certainly helped that they have allowed him to just you know get comfortable in the outfield yep. and no longer ask him to move around to second, third base. Yep. Like you know, it's a credit to him that he was able to even be in that conversation. But the reality is, he's better served in the outfield. Um, you, that's been proven out and. I think there's something, too, for a player to just be comfortable, right? Like, baseball is such a hard game, and you go through ebbs and flows. And so it's at least if you're comfortable in your position, like on a day-in and a day-out basis, I think it's easier to start making adjustments at the plate when you don't have to worry about the field. For a guy like Ian Happ, I think that was always a problem, was when if he got into a slump at the plate, he also had to worry about, oh, am I playing my defensive position correctly? Yep. You know, yep. So I think that has given him a Great lot of point. peace of mind. But the Cubs are fortunate that he wanted to be here. Because yep. I'll tell you what, Bry, after the season he had last year and the way he started this year, if he did hit the free agent market, he was going to be the second best bat on the market after Shohei Otani. We know he's going to get half a billion dollars. 
So Wow, I never thought I'd hear those two names in the same sentence. <laughs> but but if you look at the free agent list for next year, I know. there's not a whole lot of great hitters. Ian Happ was likely going to be, if not the second, the second or third best hitter on the market after Shohei, and he was in a whole different st- strategy. And, and I loved he texted Kyle Schwarber and thanked him for setting the market. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but, the, but the truth is, though, like I said, the Cubs got fortunate that he wanted to be sure because the deal they got with him, that's a sweetheart deal. Sure it is. Sure it is. Um, but, yeah, to your point, it's $20 million a year. Yeah, I, and, and God bless him for getting it. But this team is uh, that, you know, I, I have I like a lot of their young pitchers. Uh, I'm with you. They, 500 would probably be a successful season. But Dave Van Dyke, the old baseball scribe here in the city, said, you know, whenever he debated how how much a manager means to a team, there there are about ten games. He said a season, ten or twelve games, you would put in the manager's column, good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I think David Ross has got two of them in the bat already, and maybe more. Mm-hmm. I, and and Jed Hoyer says he's a rock star manager, and he certainly signed him up as if he is that. And I love David Ross, but someone's got to Jed better be in conversation with him after the game last night, saying, "Okay, take me through that process one more time." How did that all unfold in your mind that you were going to pitch around him? I just, you know, help me out. I'd like to be a sounding board here, but here's my, you might want to think about doing this next time. Maybe he delegates that to Carter Hawkins. Well, somebody, somebody <laughs> other no, than. No, I'm with you. I, it's, it's insane to have your, you know, your, your thought process be, well, we, were, we thought we were pitching him carefully. We wanted him to try and see if he could get himself out. Or, yeah. And then, in, and then. In the next sentence, you hear your closer say, "I was, oh, I was no. challenging." I'm, I'm trying to get him out. Yeah, and and listen, I, I like the idea of bringing, you know, signing Michael Fulmer and hoping that you could maybe this could be found money. You could convert a former starting pitcher into a possible closer. They've and, had success doing that. And, and listen, a lot of teams do. That's yeah. like kind of a, and I'm not going to say it's a market inefficiency, but it's a playbook that a lot of teams run where they'll grab a former uh, failed starter, you know, mostly due to injury. Then you put him in the, you know, where the demand on his body is not as much in a short leverage situation like relieving. And then you can actually get more out of his stuff. It's a, it's a smart move, but the reality is, um, you know, I I don't know if I need Michael Fulmer going out there telling me he's going to challenge anybody. No, especially again, when the guy on deck is over 17 is struck out twice in the game and they don't have another catcher, so likely he's going to be dragging that bat up there. And um, but we didn't get to see any of that. It was the end of an era on Thursday night. The longest tenured captain in Chicago sports said goodbye to his team. We'll reflect on that next. Listen to us now live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Jeff Meller, Brian Hanley wrapping things up here today. We'll see if the uh, hopefully the White Sox can get their game in their series finale against Baltimore today. Um, try and get a series win. We have a pregame show coming your way at 1230 today. Dylan Cease uh, opposing Grayson Rodriguez and the Cubs will wrap up their series with the Dodgers uh, later today at uh, 310. Mentioned earlier this week, it was the end of an era. The man who has been captain of the Chicago Blackhawks for 15 years 
played his final home game as it was announced early that morning. Kyle Davidson and the Chicago Blackhawks organization officially releasing a statement letting people know that the Hawks and Taves had decided that they would not be uh, pursuing a contract extension at the end of the season going forward. So he, if he chooses to play hockey again, it will be with a different organization. And um, I mean, how many tickets were sold Thursday? You think ooh. when that when he, you know, before the morning skate, he came out and had the the media scrum or the press conference, and you know, people who were paying attention thought this very well could be yes. Jonathan. But when it's made official that. In fact, uh, Kyle Davidson had told Jonathan Taves in Seattle uh, last Saturday, mm-hmm. here's the deal, we love you, we're always going to appreciate you, you'll always be a Blackhawk, but we're not even entertaining a contract extension, and it, that wasn't going to be shocking news to the captain. But um, I'm sure that a lot of people figured out how to you know find their way to the United Center that night to, to be there for the final go-round for Jonathan Taves. Listen, I got caught up in in the nostalgia watching it. Sure. Uh, it was a listen, it was it's a fun trip down memory memory lane, right? And um in some ways just, you know, that's where, you know, being a sports fan, you can kind of the ro- the romantic in you is is, you know, touched and it's like, okay, this it, it was fun. It was a great night and you know what? Uh, Taves didn't disappoint. He came through with the goal here. Let's uh, let's play the goal first from uh Thursday nights. His la- his last as a Blackhawk. Whenever you counted the Hawks out, he would step up in a big moment. Kaner as well, but those numbers are pretty special. Athanasio redirected by Taves! Score for the captain! Chris Vosters and Patrick Sharp there on NBC Sports Chicago. Um, Boy, I miss Pat Foley. I was just going to say, too bad it couldn't have been Pat Foley. <laughs> I miss Pat Foley. Nothing against Chris, no, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, too bad it couldn't have been Pat Foley. You know what? Before we let's we'll we'll continue to talk about this, but let's uh, let's hear a little bit of uh, Pat Foley on some of Jonathan Taves' most famous calls. There's just no way you can put it into words what this is. We're a part of the best organization in sports in the world, and we play for the best fans in the world. You guys are stuck with us every step of the way. This shows you how special this city is.
Great stuff. Uh, the montage there by the Blackhawks to say goodbye to their captain of 15 seasons. Again, the longest tenured captainship in the city across amazing. all sports. It's just amazing. And unfortunately, the, the health is the biggest question for Jonathan Taves. If he's going to play in the NHL yet again, I, I wondered, I was thinking about watching that game the other night. Um, do you see him as wanting to continue behind the bench or, you know, joining as a, a get on a coaching staff? And I mean, he's a young man still. Mm-hmm. Do you, does he just, if he can't play, he, does he walk away from the game and the league and, and just go off into a, a, an early second chapter of his yeah, life? It's, it's a great question. I, I, I feel, I think he has to come to terms with whether, I think he still wants to see if he can play. Yeah. And, right? I, and Kyle Davidson said part of the reason, uh, the decision not to even entertain an extension, even if it was one year, is to let some of these other young guys organically grow in to the next Kane and Taves as leaders. Mm-hmm. Not, not that they're going to have that talent necessarily, but to actually lead in the dressing room so the Hawks couldn't put him behind the bench is part of Luke's staff right now because I think that would not be the guy you want. Well, we'll have to wait to see how it plays out. We'll be tracking it all summer long. Brian, it was a blast. We ran out of time. Jake, thanks for uh, producing this uh, show. Uh, We'll uh, check in for White Sox pregame at 1230.